I'm a passionate region woman because I believe that your geography is not an obstacle to your success. I'm a passionate regional woman because to me, regional WA is real and raw. My work gives me the opportunity to travel all over this incredible state and to meet the most amazing people for which I'm incredibly grateful. It's all those personalities that make up our diverse communities. It's the people that make here a vibrant place to live. I believe regional communities cannot achieve economic prosperity without talented regional women living in rural Australia. It's what makes regional WA the best place to live and love. And that's why I'm a passionate regional woman. Welcome to the Triple R Network podcast series by Generation Ag. We're your hosts, Kayla Evans and Lavinia Ware. We're so excited to have you listening to our very, very first partnered podcast series, aren't we, Vin? Yes, we're very excited to have the opportunity to work with rural, regional and remote women throughout Western Australia and tell their stories, which is really what Kayla and I are already so passionate about. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And as a female-led business in in our in our podcast series we're excited to be working with another west australian female-led initiative you know power to the women we're super super excited to have been given this opportunity and we can't wait to celebrate all the amazing things that women are doing in this great state of western australia absolutely so over the next six months every fortnight On a Thursday or on the Monday, if you're a Triple R member, we will be dropping a Generation Ag crossover with Triple R Network podcast, which will be an extra podcast a fortnight apart from what we already do, that will celebrate one of these amazing women in our state. Yeah, so it's really exciting. So this is additional content. Uh, If you're a regular listener of the Generation Ag podcast on a Monday, um, yeah, don't despair. That will still be coming every single week. But this is a taste little bonus coming every second Thursday, like Vinny said, um, to our platform, which is super exciting. So, Vin, tell us a little bit about the Triple R Network if people haven't heard of it before. So, the Triple R Network is, as I've already said, it's rural, regional, and remote women in Western Australia. But obviously, even if you're not in WA, these are still amazing women to understand and learn about and it's all about meeting like-minded women who develop ideas connections and become leaders in their community and it's about being the voice on the ground for issues impacting women around the state but I think a lot of these women um, and the issues they're talking about can relate nationwide or internationally even within the agricultural and regional remote rural industry. Totally. Um, I was lucky enough to go to um, one of the Triple R Network's events in October last year called Breaking the Mould on Gender Equality. And that was just a fabulous example of some of the amazing events that Triple R do run that help to benefit all women, um, whether you work in agriculture or not, if you're a rural, regional or remote women, the Triple R Network do some fantastic stuff. I was so glad to be at that lunch and we talked a lot about the gender pay gap. Um, there were politicians in the room 
media is in the room. There was great food, great wine. Um, it's all just an amazing space that the Triple R Network have created to, yeah, I guess gather around some really important issues for women. And there is such a special sort of um, growth of this network. I mean, I know my auntie um, and my mum have previously been involved with it. Um, So to be able to carry on the next generation and promote it to younger rural, regional and remote women um, throughout the state is really, really special. And Kayla and I are very excited to do that and help produce this podcast with the Rural Women's Network. So each week, we're really excited, or fortnight, shall I say, we're really excited to celebrate women and what they're doing in this country. So we're going to have a Women of the Week segment where we talk about someone who has done something within the Triple R network or maybe within Australia that's really interesting or, you know, there might be um, a news topic that comes up with a remote or rural woman who we really think um, should be highlighted. So, Kayla, let's start with our first segment for our first Triple R episode who are our women of the week well it was mother's day just last week so we couldn't miss this opportunity to announce our very first women of the week as being our mums so they're avid listeners of our podcast they're huge supporters and we just wanted to I guess go a little bit more in depth they are both or have been at various points in their life rural or regional women um, and they have both raised two crazy daughters each (laughs) Um, and so we just wanted to shout them out. Um, So my mum's name is Selena. She is still on my family farm on the Darling Downs in Queensland. Shout out to all the Queenslanders who would be listening to this. My mum is a Wonder Woman as we think of all of our mums I'm sure but uh, Kayla's mum especially. (laughs) My mum has been a single parent since I was five years old and my sister was three and um, she essentially is on the farm by herself uh, since my sister and I moved off the farm all the way to Western Australia we abandoned her (laughs) Um, she has still been on the farm making sure things run smoothly as many women do in their farming businesses Um, and I was just talking to Vin before we jumped on the air about how you know like many other rural mums as well she spent a great deal of her time doing Um, the boarding school runs every single weekend for three years Uh, the sports runs I remember one time my mum jumped in a car and drove 16 hours from where I live up to Townsville to watch me play sport which is just isn't that the story of being a rural kid (laughs) your mum was very committed and she still is she's a phenomenal woman and I guess that brings me to talking about my mum. Her name is Dimity. Um, she was born and bred in Western Australia. She actually grew up in Mora and Querading. My grandpa was a stock agent, so she's a rural woman. Um, and she spent most of her teenage life on a station. My great-grandmother had a station up near Kagalee. So, yeah, she, when she wasn't at school, was up there um, and then obviously down in Esperance for a while. She's now moved over to Sydney to pursue um, her growth and her career, which is amazing. I think that it's phenomenal when um, women can do things for themselves. And my mum devoted, like Kayla's, so much of her time to me and my sister. So to be able to go and do that is really awesome. 
And yeah, so I haven't, like Kayla, we haven't seen our mums for a long time and we just want to share a little bit of love for them and hopefully um, border restrictions will be um, less tight in the coming months so we can fortunately have our mums visit us. Yeah, and give them a big old hug for Mother's Day since we haven't been able to see them. So that brings us on to our third Women of the Week. Now, every single week we will be shouting out Um, you know, a handful of women. So it might be three this week. It could be five next week. But the great thing about this segment is that although we've chosen the women of the week this week, we would really love for you guys as listeners to nominate your women of the week coming up. So tag us on Instagram, DM us. You can email us hello at generationag.com.au. If you have a woman of the week suggestion, we want to know what the women in your lives have been getting up to, what inspires you, what products are out there that you just think, wow, that has saved my life. You know, who's doing amazing things in COVID, which is a fabulous segue into today's uh, third woman of the week. Vinny, do you want to intro our third woman of the week? I'm sure most of you, because everyone has been glued to the news, will already know who we're about to introduce. But we're going to talk about Lisa Cook. Now, she has created the group Get Scrubbed on Facebook. And basically what they have done is they've started developing um, scrubs and other um clothing for doctors and nurses as COVID was in its peak probably two or three months ago. There was a limited amount of um, scrubs available and there was just no resources. So Lisa and a group of people from the country took it into their own hands to start hand sewing masks and a variety of other things for doctors and nurses and healthcare workers, which is absolutely phenomenal and so selfless of her to do. Mm. And that Facebook group now, you know, it started as a small little effort, I'm sure, um, but has grown to over 3,700 people. So that's 3,700 people giving their time and energy and their sewing resources to creating, um, yeah, much, much needed medical supplies for professionals in um, the Peel and Perth regions, which is just amazing. Absolutely. We're so excited. So if you don't already follow us, it's at generation.ag on Instagram. That's the best spot. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can go and search us over there as well. If you want to follow who the faces are behind the voices, our um, profiles are linked on our Instagram as well. So you can go and find a bit more information about Kayla and I, as well on our website every week or a fortnight, our guests will be released on our website. So you can go there and check them out, find more information about them if you want to get in contact if you haven't found the info on the show notes. And then, of course, make sure you are listening to the Triple R Network podcast. So make sure you go and follow Triple R Network on all their socials uh, if you're not already um, because you can let them know about your women of the week there as well. So we will be collaborating with them for the next six months, which is just the most exciting thing. Yes. Which brings us to the entire, I guess, foundation of this podcast series, which is interviews with some incredible West Australian women. So Vinny, you're going to introduce our first guest for this week. Absolutely. I was so lucky to interview uh, the Western Australia AgriFutures Woman of the Year Award for WA 2020, which was Cara Peak. Cara's interview was phenomenal and I'll do the introduction in a minute, but wow, it was 
Kayla, honestly, one of the best interviews um, we've had the privilege of doing since we started Generation Ag. Kara is doing it all. And if you don't already, go and follow her on her socials. Or once you listen to this, you'll want to go and follow um, Saltwater Country and see all the amazing work that she is going to be a part of. It, yeah, it was a really good start. And I'm very excited for all the interviews we have coming up. Um, and we're actually, fortunately, because of distance and Kayla and I being in two different spots at the moment, I'm in Esperance and she's in Perth, we will fortunately be able to actually do a few of the interviews in person um, on our respective ends. So that will be exciting as well. Mm. So we won't take up any more of the listeners' time because we have got a ripper interview with Cara to get into. So we'll jump into that now. Kara Peak is a Yaru Banuba woman from Broome, Western Australia. As the 2020 AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year Award for Western Australia, Kara was of course going to be our first interview for the Triple R series. As a lawyer by profession, having worked primarily in native title law, Kara now focuses her skills as a community relations practitioner as the co-founder and executive director for Cultural Intelligence Project. She was also the founder of the Saltwater Country Incorporated, a multifaceted Indigenous-led organisation that builds on the symbolic power of the Aboriginal cowboy in remote Australia. Kara has also just won a Churchill Fellowship to take the program overseas, and she's also the chairperson of Yaru's development and investment company and in char- that's in charge of the responsibility to generate long-term income in the Yaru community. It was a really phenomenal interview with Kara and I've only just briefly touched on, we'll talk more in detail about Kara and what she's doing with her AgriFutures grant and how she helps people. But she really does give a phenomenal experience and perspective on life and talks really um, perfectly summarising social issues and how she deals with them. So yeah, I think everyone who listens to this episode will really enjoy it. Thank you so much, Cara, for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Firstly, I'd love you to talk to us a little bit about your upbringing and childhood. Um, so I was actually born and raised in Melbourne with um, family scattered across Australia and parts of the world. Um, I, my mum is a nurse and my dad is a photographer and I grew up in um, a really multicultural area in the southeastern suburbs. But I spent a lot of my time traveling, um, you know, back in the 80s in um, the back of a car fighting with my siblings across the country. So mm-hmm. we um, got to see a lot of uh, rural and regional Australia. And um, in the area that I grew up in uh, called Dandenong, when my dad grew up there, it was actually a rural um, community. And I was born and raised in... Um, the, actually the original homestead of an orchard that was gradually paired back due to urbanisation of the area. So you had a long-standing, a long-standing um, connection to the region. But um, a lot of my childhood was spent um, quite simply, you know, playing and having fun, not, not of the, none of the devices that exist today. 
Um, but I yeah. was always, um, you know, always given the opportunity to explore and think and encourage to be whatever it was I wanted to be as long as it made me happy. So mm-hmm. I think that my parents, particularly my mother, blessed me with the gift of adaptability and um, and the strength of knowledge to know that whatever it is, I'm sure I can work it out. So I think that's kind of fed me well so far. Yeah, you can definitely tell that um, you're a real go-getter and I feel like you always have to get that from somewhere, always your parents, whether it's small little things they tell you, seems to be the sort of push to go in the direction that you want to go. So you're a lawyer by trade and you've done a variety of other studies to progress your knowledge and awareness. What was the deciding factor to study law and psychology? Um, I decided to study law because I wanted to help people. Um, it's pretty much a short answer. But apparently that mm-hmm. was a surprising answer on my first day of law school when they go around the room and ask you that. Um, <laughs> I was the only person that said I wanted to help people. But um, oh, wow. that, that was, yeah, just telling. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's um, why I became a lawyer or I studied law. And I actually, I studied, I started studying university psychology when I was still in high school. So um, it was a program that was available, you know, if you could get into it. So, and I, you know, was lucky enough to. So I have a particular interest in behavioural psychology and, you know, the way that everybody acts and works and behaves and interacts and, and how that can affect, you know, things that are delivered in our community or can affect business or relationships and that type of thing. So the combination of the two, I think, Law was A, to help people, but also B, to empower myself. Um, because although I don't technically, I don't have, I don't practice this as a strict, like as a solicitor anymore, but uh, the sense of self and confidence and um, I suppose power, but power in the sense that if you don't know something, you can work it out. Power in knowing mm. the rights and things like that. Um, mm. that definitely stayed with me. So um, that's another reason I did it. And, yeah, psychology was definitely because people fascinate me. And so yeah. I, think this, I think the two combined have been quite helpful. Yeah, I can only imagine how much knowledge that would give you to be where you are today for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it does make for interesting meetings and um, introductions and gatherings and also assessments of particular situations and strategies, like particularly when working in um, kind of innovative ways and having to understand, you know, sometimes you can understand the agendas of people before they even understand their own agendas. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. And I've done a lot of research into your background and you've had a really interesting career working overseas when you were younger and then finally you made your way to Broome and now you live up there. What was it like finding out that the Kimberley was the place that you were deciding to call home? Um, well, I'm a Yarrabunaba woman, so my uh, family is from Broome and Fitzroy Crossing up in the Kimberley. So the Kimberley and um, this particular region of it was always home in one way or another. I was just not raised here. And mm-hmm. um, after traveling the world, like uh, when I 
I used to live in Arizona and used to work with the Apache Nation and um, I've uh, worked and studied in Canada and different things. And I think coming back to Australia, I had always known that I would work with, with and for or side by side with Indigenous people in one way or another. And um, being able to do that in a, in a town or in a region where my family also is, um, is a blessing. And also, by the time I came back to the States, I mean, from the States, rather, I worked at, like in Melbourne, was in the Melbourne Federal Court, um, did my articles at the law firm there, obviously. But I felt that that wasn't the type of work that I wanted to do for a long time. So mm-hmm. I decided that I would, I'd always, Obviously, I knew about native title law and um, land rights law and different things like that. And so the two married well, and I was able to secure a job at the Kimberley Land Council. But it also enabled me to spend like much more time with my grandmother as she was getting older and mm-hmm. um, also with my extended family and also the next generation. So I'm extremely blessed to have I think the count is like over 50 now, um, nieces and nephews. Wow. And um, because we come from a, quite a large family and, and my my cousin's children are my nieces and nephews as well, which how we yep. did it. And mm-hmm. um, so I've seen many of them, you know, from the day that they were born and um, that was a real blessing. And so the need to be here um, experiencing family life and, you know, the hectic extended family life, but also uh, being able to be on my own country, which just automatically feels like home when you come home, mm. no matter how far you've been away. Um, yeah. And also to, to pair that with my profession at the time was a really lucky combination. And also the other thing is when you come to the Kimberley, you come to, you know, a remote area, you know, you get a lot of opportunities that you wouldn't get in the city when it comes to your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really get to cut your teeth on some meaty subjects or issues or, or whatever. And in doing so, particularly in my field, you actually get to help uh, your people, no matter who those people are. So um, just because also the resources are so scarce in triple R communities that you assume a number of roles, that may well be outside what you're actually there to do. So it's quite It's, it's amazing. Quite fun. Yeah, that's amazing. What a phenomenal story. I think the Kimberley is such a beautiful place and to give back using the resources and knowledge you have is absolutely phenomenal. So talk to us a little bit about saltwater country. I've done a lot of reading on this and what you guys do is actually phenomenal. So I don't want to talk about it. Can you sort of elaborate on what the organisation is? Sure. So Saltwater Country um, was set up to celebrate the Kimberley Aboriginal pastoral industry heritage, essentially, Um, the lives, the resilience, the strength of uh, Indigenous stockmen and stockwomen that helped build the industry up here and and in other parts of the country as well. And what we do is, or we focus on, is improving the social, emotional and economic well-being of Indigenous people. And we're starting in Broome, but we anticipate that it can roll out 
we've definitely been invited to a number of communities to do the things that we do. And it originally started um, oh, back in 2014, I think. And with the its first initiative was to run one of the first uh, Aboriginal-led rodeo camp draft and country music event. And it was roaring, you know, it was a great success and it's continued as an annual event, although 2020 might, you know, throw a curveball in there with COVID-19. But um, outside of those, you know, one in 100-year events, um, we are an organisation led by Aboriginal people, young Aboriginal people, and we train and employ um, Indigenous people at different levels uh, at this stage pretty much completely with the event, but as, as part of uh, the Rural Women's uh, Project that I've put up, Saltwater Academy and other initiatives, we anticipate that that will ebb and flow and change and depending on what the community wants. Um, and what we have done so far, I'll give you a snapshot of last year, we ran a ABCRA affiliated radio camp draft um, and then an official clinic, so we've trained, started to train um, people of all ages to become uh, event officials, so judges, to shoot bosses, those types of things, arena directors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've had one of our law bosses, our traditional our Yaru law bosses, our senior men, he's now a qualified Rostock judge. And we have a few other, like, young up-and-comers that uh, the ABCRA were really impressed with and um, they will go on to complete their qualifications and then obviously be able to be uh, paid as a judge on the open market in terms of at the ABCRA and its affiliated organisations. And we decided to build this organisation to replicate almost the sense of freedom that being an Aboriginal stockman or stockwoman um, in history um, the freedom that that gave our people, often in times when their movement and culture was so restricted. And we feel that saltwater country in its different elements celebrate that but also recreate that by allowing people to be their authentic selves. They come to the events, they compete, they judge, they work, they train. Um, and they do it with other people from their communities, often their families. So last year we also uh, launched Saltwater Stories, which is a creative training program, film, photography, um, sound, lighting and sculpture. And we also had Adriana Marias, who was a three-time pro bull riding world champion from Brazil. He flew, what, 30 hours to come to Broome and spend 10 days here teaching bull riding clinics, teaching life lessons and resilience, visiting a couple of our cattle stations, like Roebuck um, Plains being one of them, school visits, uh, community engagement, stuff like that. And so the combination of those things, and, and it will evolve hopefully through the project that I've got up at the moment with the rural women, to deliver a rite of passage from volunteer to employment and all the training steps in between and create kind of a a culturally safe, people-centred, place-based programs and initiatives for our people. But it also, the beauty of it, 
is that it's really brought the community together, like the whole community, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, that enjoy mm. the sport. They enjoy the sport. They enjoy the music. Um, and in my view, the success of Indigenous Australians is the success of all Australians. And so yeah. if we can, we can come together and create that kind of critical path to success because with um, our communities in some ways have, um, you know, need to make up time because of things that we've gone through. Um, but we can also share our knowledge too. So it's a really nice thing to see it's this really multicultural crowd coming together, having fun um, and, yeah, and getting something out of it, but also having the opportunity to carve out lifelong skills and, and have something to take away. Mm. I hear that um, Rhythm and Rhyme is an epic event, so definitely something for people to get to. <laughs> oh, please, come, come. As soon as we get the clearance to actually run it, like this year. Um, but if not, definitely next year it'll be back on the, on the bill. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to share that out with our audience. So can you talk a little bit more about your win? Because you are the Western Australian AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year for 2020. You've won $10,000 to go towards Saltwater Country, which you've touched on. Can you talk a little bit more about the grant and then your relationship with the Triple R Network as well? Sure. So um, the grant, the project I proposed was Saltwater Academy, which is, I hope, in in the future it will be a permanent uh, academy where people can get the place-based people-centered programs I was talking about before, um, including uh, training and development employment and, and also we hope to partner so we can deliver or partner in delivering equine-assisted learning and therapy for um, traumatised youth that are in our community because uh, the Kimberley has the highest suicide rate in the world. So, um, And we need to be at the forefront of that um, delivery, not just saltwater country, but the community that's affected the most. But Saltwater Academy, Academy, um, obviously, the judges like the project. (laughs) (laughs) And they they like me. Um, But basically, it came about... had to think about how we could maintain and scale our events that we run, Rhythm and Rise, um, yeah. in a remote area where you either have to grow the skill locally or you have to buy it in. And you yeah. can buying it, buying it in only lasts for so long. Mm-hmm. And um, so I decided, I looked around and decided, decided to take the view that everything that we do is teachable. And mm-hmm. for the things that we can't teach, like, you know, not everybody wants to learn risk management because it's boring, but that's yeah. what I can do. I can do that as a lawyer and having worked in various industries. But um, we partnered with Galari Media, who's a, um, obviously a media and creative business, and we partnered with other organisations um, that do have the skill sets that are experts in their areas. So Galari often films and does the photography at our events. So we thought, okay, they're they're an RTO, like a registered training organisation, so they can teach. Um, and basically, the view is carve off every possible moment, craft it into a culturally safe and culturally intelligent program, and deliver it. Meet people where they are, and deliver it in a way that they can learn and that they want to engage. And that's what Saltwater Academy is about. 
and um, then people can scale to paid, like they can have paid work experience and paid employment at our smaller community events. We have movie nights and different things, free stuff for the community. And mm-hmm. then and then also be employed should they choose to be um, at the event. And a lot of some of the programs will be a mix between free form learning and um, accredited training, depending on where the individual is at at the time that they engage. So that's kind of uh, the summary of Saltwater Academy. But in terms of the award, I was extremely surprised to win, I think as you usually or should be um, in these circumstances, particularly because of the high caliber of fellow finalists and um, coming from completely different disciplines as well. You just never know what's going to resonate with the judging panel. Mm-hmm. Um, very privileged and the the grant that comes with it will actually go directly towards the financial modelling, business planning and impact measurement um, of Saltwater Academy so that we can develop it in a sustainable way that we can also prove the impact that it has, which mm-hmm. will, come full, will come full circle in terms of our um, participants and people wanting to be involved, but it will also come full circle. If we can measure it, we can explain it to people that don't come from our world and hopefully gain their support. So, um, And in terms of the... Uh, the network and, and stuff that's been surrounding the awards today um, has been really supportive and really refreshing. Um, there's been numerous um, Facebook groups with uh, Rural Women's Award alumni, as including finalists and not just the winners. And also, you know, the Triple R uh, network have been... Um, supportive in the lead-up, and they did a really innovative announcement of the board as well due to COVID, yeah. obviously. We were all – we had to laugh, though, with Triple R people because we're usually in isolation, but this is a whole yeah. other level, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was quite funny. I'm like, it's business as usual, but I have to use Zoom more. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there was an announcement on um, Country Hour, like on the ABC radio, and also there was a big Zoom call where um, not only finalists, dial in but other people in the network to um, you know be the first to hear but then also um, be just be part of the excitement which is great and so the team there really um, really steps up their game not that they don't do a good job normally but just in these unique, unique circumstances to ensure that I suppose the effect and the excitement of the announcement um, was you know, we'll still maintain, and if not, we probably yeah. reach more people because people were able to dial in instead yeah. of a, instead of a face to face invite only announcement. So it's yeah. kind of bringing the awards back to the people, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah, and so it was a great experience. Mr. McKinnon, who announced it, um, you know, I, I have uh, I know her, and um, we've. Um, engaged through the different roles that I hold, Saltwater Country being one. She actually came to our camp draft last year oh, and, awesome. um, and checked it out. And um, and she was supportive of bringing Adriana Marais over from Brazil as well. And so she um, she helped some of the young local kids um, do their clinic. And so mm-hmm. that was a great kind of synergy to have her announcing it um, and that she actually knew the winner, you know, um, yeah, like didn't didn't know that I'd won until she got the piece of paper, obviously. 
But yeah. but when she opened it, hopefully was uh, pleasantly surprised. So I just think the award is, you know, like anybody who works and lives in a triple R community, you know that you have to make your money stretch as far as possible. And mm-hmm. so to get the grant is a great thing that we can now leverage. We can leverage to secure other funding. So, um, but also we can show that it's been recognised and um, other people outside of, you know, me and my community are saying that this is a good idea and that they can see how that it will have a, a great impact. And with that, it's quite powerful. Um, and I've had numerous people obviously congratulate me, but then other people also recognise the significance of the award and um, and willing to open their minds, their ears, their hearts to go, okay, so what is it that you're doing? Um, so that's probably almost more valuable than the money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just the awareness and recognition throughout different groups or people kind of connecting the dots to see you and then see what you're sort of working on, I think is really powerful for sure. Oh, absolutely, because people, you know, in their defence, probably think I'm crazy half the time because <laughs> um, because I'm involved in so many things. I'm trained in a you know, variety of, of disciplines and um, I don't lead a particularly simple life unless I'm out on country and I get some quiet time, you know. So I understand... Like, that, <laughs> yeah, like I understand that I'm hectic. I understand that the... Um, the work that I do is very different to a lot of the work that is done up here in particular. Um, but what has been the beauty of it is that not only through the awards we'll get the recognition, get the networks, and obviously get the funds that will assist, and the networks will be exponentially like um, more valuable than the funds, I would say. Um, Absolutely. Right? But then also... I've really seen this beautiful transition in the community that a number of people during this COVID-19 time messaged me and said, thanks, oh, it's, you know, it's amazing, congratulations, it's so great to have some good news now, mm, uh, especially yeah. in this time. And so it's not mm-hmm. just about me, it's about the 50 to 100 or more people that stand behind me and support me mm-hmm. to do this mm-hmm. work and support each other. And on top of that, last year you know, with a big event and um, Adriana coming over and us, you know, testing the market in terms of the clinics that we're running, things like that. People, like the quietest, you know, ringers would come up to me and just shake my hand and say, thank you for doing this. I can't believe we are doing this. And for Um, me, when, when they use that terminology, it means that the community is taking ownership of what's happening, uh, we are, like everybody understands, or their understanding is growing that they can play a critical role in the success not only in saltwater country but in the initiatives that it has and the people that are involved in it. And they are seeing people that look like them doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm- you cannot underestimate how important that is. I bet you that's so humbling when someone who, especially like a, you know, shy ringer comes up and says something like that, it must just be special. <laughs> yeah, like um, it's been 
lovely. And even, you know, there's some, some a few of them out there, they'll, they'll remain nameless, you know, that, <laughs> you know, give you hell every now and again. Um, yeah. And I've even gotten some really lovely positive messages from them. So um, tide's tide definitely turning in that sense. And I think that what's important is I think a lot of Indigenous communities in particular and R communities probably as well, um, mm-hmm. get a lot of people coming and saying that they will do stuff for them or yeah. that they will, you know, oh, you know, coming from the city, oh, you've got this great from program. The world. Right? And yeah. none of them hang around and no. none, of, none of them actually spend a huge amount of time with the community before doing anything to actually understand mm-hmm. what might what make, might make the difference or what they might engage in um, and what means something to them. So I think those things combined um, are now resonating. And also one of the reasons we started with the event was so that we could deliver something tangible quickly so that we weren't just considered, oh, yeah, you're just another, another pit person coming out here just to talk and not do anything. So we were able to deliver something tangible, something that they love and can be involved in, and something that I love as well. Um, so I think that yeah, to hear those words has been really humbling, um, and I just hope that it grows. Yeah, you can definitely, I think, because you're so passionate about it as well, you can just get people behind you, even listening to you speak today. It's just You can tell it's just what you see the future and by doing this and putting our time and effort, you can see all these people coming together, which is pretty special. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm pretty blessed to... Because I can, I can see the big picture, you know, 10 years, 20 years ahead. Yeah, but yeah. also understand where we are and mm-hmm. also understand what we need to do to get there. And mm-hmm. if people don't understand that, that's when you get the pushback, but that's when you need that kind of culturally intelligent communication skills to be able to resonate with community members, with government, with and everybody in between. Yeah, I think that's what makes you so great is you've got a lot of different skill sets to be able to do that, and it's awesome. And I guess that is probably following into my next question, why you won a Churchill, Churchill Scholarship, or Fellowship, so I say, um, yeah. to take the saltwater country concept overseas. Can you talk about that? That's amazing. Yeah, so the Churchill Fellowship is an amazing program, and largely because it doesn't matter what you do for money, like... Um, when I, I remember telling one of my uncles, oh, yeah, no, I want a special fellowship. And he's like, what for? And I'm like, rodeo. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, is that even possible? And I'm like, well, yes. Like with the Churchill, it doesn't matter what your discipline is. As long as you're passionate, um, you have researched it very well and, you know, have um, exhausted the opportunity for knowledge essentially in your own countries in Australia in this instance obviously um, and then need to go elsewhere to learn best practice and, and whatnot and um, so the church, what I'm doing for the Churchill is um, once COVID-19 again um, <laughs> let me leave my town and I'll be going to Brazil, Mexico, the US and Canada to look at First Nations and owned and black owned um, rodeos and mm-hmm. circuits that they're connected to. So yeah. in, the state, in the States and Canada, obviously rodeo is pretty big. 
and same yeah. with you. Um, mm-hmm. And there are open mainstream uh, competition circuits uh, that anybody, you know, subject to their skill and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. can enter into and compete in. But then there is also uh, Native American or First Nations owned circuits um, mm-hmm. across the, the continent and also um, African American owned. And so I thought, well, who would have a similar experience to us? And it was, it was those two group of people. And mm-hmm. um, I will be going to a variety of events and circuits and meetings um, over an eight-week period. And also not only looking at the event and how it's run, but looking at the experience outside of that. So the supply chain that leads into that, how is that delivering for those particular communities, for the First Nations and African-American communities? And then what is delivered out, out of the event, not just the event, obviously people get prize money, they get employed, they have contractors started up, are those people First Nations or are those mm. people African Americans? Yeah. Or um, also the social programs that no doubt come out of that or are funded by those events. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's quite an interesting, oh, it might be in Oklahoma, I can't remember, but um, there's a few interesting prison-based equine-assisted learning programs, for example, to mm-hmm. help people rehabilitate and deal with their trauma. Um, there's a prison rodeo, for example. Wow. Um, and, but then there's also, um, you know, highly competitive, highly skilled, professional First Nations and African-American riders um, that compete not only in their own circuits but compete in the mainstream circuits as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so to learn their lived experience, um, their experience of the event and the circuit how empowering it is owning your own circuit and event um, mm-hmm. and how you can use that as a conduit for change, essentially. So, um, And then, of course, I'll be inviting everybody that I meet to Rhythm yeah. and Rise and, yeah. and to the Kimberley um, because one of my dreams or the visions for the event is also to have Indigenous uh, food and dance and music and yeah. um, to have people not only from across Australia performing, but from across the world. So wow. um, whether it be from New Zealand, from Canada, from Brazil, wherever, there's this affinity with horses, there's an affinity with rodeo, and obviously, mm-hmm. of course, living off the land. Yeah. Um, but then to bring together a celebration like that, um, particularly in these uncertain times, um I think this would be amazing and I, I think it would be a perfect opportunity for Australia to share its unique um, culture and history and bring both Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities together to build something, um, you know, world-class event for the Kimberley and for Broome, for Western Australia, but also, as we've already touched on, that event itself is a training and employment opportunity Mm -hmm. and as is everything that sits around it. So the Churchill will enable me to learn best practice in that space um, and then bring that knowledge home. Wow, it's incredible hearing you talk about it. Like there's so much potential and to give the Kimberley the opportunity to have an international event like that, it just sounds 
just awesome. Yeah, you just got to be mad enough to give it a crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, that's, but clearly I am mad enough. And you also co-founded the Cultural Intelligence Project with your sister. And I, from my research, I see that this is a collaboration of projects. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this? Sure. So the Cultural Intelligence Project is uh, essentially delivering culturally intelligent advisory services and skill sets and knowledge through seven different platforms. Mm. And that kind it probably kind of manifested because my sister is just as skilled and experienced and articulate as myself and we both have this innate need and want and belief to help people and in particular help the Indigenous people and yeah. we just came up with a variety of ways to do that through the things that we enjoy doing and the things that we're trained to do. So um, under the platform we have um, Peak Consulting which is our advisory service so we often are engaged mm-hmm. with um, the corporates with businesses and sometimes individuals uh, to assist in delivering whatever their discipline is. So we've mm-hmm. worked with training organisations, we've worked with leadership organisations, we've worked with um, carbon farming organisations, one of our current clients. Um, and uh, we're doing a fair amount, we're doing some work with um, philanthropic organisations and foundations at the moment that are seeking to support First Nations communities during the COVID crisis and beyond, but are unsure of how to do it properly. Um, so, yeah. we, so we advise them in different ways. Um, that's through peak consulting. We, we do strategy, communications, all different stuff. Um, Cultural IQ uh, is soon to launch. Actually, it's just it's ready to press the go button. Um, but it's a training platform to build the cultural intelligence of all Australians and arguably all people. Mm-hmm. We basically, this is where some of my psychology comes in, where we essentially yeah. unpack the baggage that each one of us brings into the room um, mm-hmm. from a cultural standpoint because a lot of people, culture is so embedded in individuals and in communities that we just think it's the norm and we don't understand necessarily why we, why we react the things the way that we do or why we interpret things in a particular manner um, in different situations and um, you know it could be work there's a different cultural at your footy club there's you know all different things and how that culminates in you potentially judging someone or judging a situation in a particular way not always the correct way it is your truth but it's not the whole truth if you know what I mean so um, we'll be launching a, a program soon but this is the culmination of all the face-to-face training that we've done over the years. So it's not new in the sense that um, we haven't done it before. It's just that we've decided to take it online. We also have YYD events and experiences, which is pretty self-explanatory, but we can run, we've run 10-day multicultural festivals before. Um, We, uh, you know, weddings and, and all those types of things, but we actually prefer... Um, large-scale events that help change the narrative of um, whatever the situation is at the time or um, Mm -hmm. to help elevate voices that are often unheard. So that's Mm -hmm. our main focus for that, Um, but high-end events as well. 
um, Color Wash Co. Is, you know, is an agency piece where we can assist organisations to change um, or to connect with people that they would not normally connect with because they don't understand the cultural nuances or the language or the visual that needs to fit with their brand. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, to make the media more culturally aware and appropriate um, and to ensure that all, again, in a different way, but ensure that all voices are reflected and faces are seen um, through the process. Um, and then also um, the other key thing outside of Saltwater Country and Rhythm and Ride kind of sit in there. It's a completely separate organisation, but it sits in there from um, a cultural intelligence standpoint and the way that we work. But Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the actual um, businesses, we also are on foot to launch um, an Indigenous Entrepreneurs and Innovation Hub and Think Tank in the community. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really exciting project and it will enable people to um, have a collegiate um, entrepreneurial atmosphere. It will give them access to... um, we're collaborating with Investival out of Sydney to deliver an accelerator program for Indigenous mm-hmm. entrepreneurs up here. Um, it'll be, a, you know, a collaborative space with a rolling training program and access to advisory and different things that are not available at the moment up here and are often not available in Triple R communities. That's one of the first things that I noticed when I first came back here and it frustrated me to no end that, you have plenty of brilliant, creative um, and hardworking people in Triple R communities, but they just simply do not have the access to the resources that you get in the metro area. And Absolutely. Just, and just particularly so, I noticed um, in um, business skills and advisors and stuff. So you often get, um, you know, I, you know, I've worked with a number of different firms in, in different ways and I know the level of expertise that's out there, but it's just not accessible here. So that's yeah. what we that's what we want to change. And we're on the doorstep for Asia in Broome. So, you know, we're closer to Singapore than we are to Sydney. And mm-hmm. um, so we feel there's a real opportunity as part of the Northern Development to uh, develop our community now and um, with the view to when the Northern Development kicks off more that we're actually ready because we can't afford to miss that boat. And there's a lot of people with great ideas and one of our key focuses will be um, enabling, providing the skill sets, the expertise and the connections so that people can grow or start a business that will enable them to stay on their country or in their small town, whatever it might be, and still have access to the global economy. Wow. Do you have um, any time off? <laughs> um, it was actually funny. One of uh, our treasurer of the Saltwater Country, she, we, uh, we were saying, oh, when I when I go on the Churchill, that you know we'll, we can go. Like I'm, you know, I invite people along and um, you know go to a few events, go to some rodeos, or we can do that here. And she's like, Cara, you're not allowed to go to a rodeo unless you don't go out the back because you will be. <laughs> you're like you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to assess how it's working. You're not allowed to, you know, think of it from a, um, you know, a professional standpoint. But I actually, yeah. find that, I find it quite difficult because even if I think my brain is wired a little differently, and so it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, 
I come from a solutions-based standpoint. And so mm-hmm. I will look at, oh, oh, that would be really cool. We could do that at home. That'd be a great opportunity for people. Or yeah. um, why are they doing it this way? Okay, I just have a really inquisitive brain. Um, yeah. And so it's quite hard. But I, I do, um, in terms of time off, I'm, I'm pretty old school. So I, I love to travel, obviously. Um, you know, it's probably evident from the work that I've done. But um, I love to explore new cultures and food in particular. I love cooking and I love eating. Um, but I also like the simple things. So I'm blessed to live where I live. And so I can go out onto country or I can go to the beach, you know, within five minutes and mm. be on a beach with next to no one there and, um, you know, have some downtime either with myself or with my nieces and nephews that are consistently entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things I really like, um, just quiet, simple time. And, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely, I'm an int- a traditional introvert that trains herself to be an extrovert. But, yeah. Um, but the quiet time at home, on country, even baking and things like that, I really enjoy. So, yes, there is some time off in there somewhere. <laughs> Got to be to stay a bit sane, doesn't it? Right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you've been quoted as a change maker, and I really believe that you are. How does that make you feel? Um, a little bit strange. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's quite funny when... Because I, I consider it a change maker uh, a positive thing, and, and I think that we all have the power to be that if we mm-hmm. take the time to consider it. And mm-hmm. I think that every one of us definitely has that cap- capacity and capability, but I often find that people, um, they talk more than they do. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm... Don't get me wrong. My mother's been telling me to shut up since I could start talking. So I, I, talk, <laughs> I, I talk a fair share, um, uh, but I also follow up with actions. And mm-hmm. um, and so I think for me, change maker is kind of the perfect combination of um, you know intellectual, robust conversation, um, but also followed with considered actions and. Mm-hmm. In that way, I'm happy with the label because um, I'm not really a label person either. So, um, but I think that um, you know, having having the capacity to take the skills and experience that I have gained so far, and no doubt will gain more in the future, and then transform that into opportunities and access that people, other people may not have. Um, if that's what change maker means, then I am more than happy to wear the label because um, I personally can't live any other way. So um, I need to do the work that I do and um, I also need to find the ways that I can bring our community, some sections of the community or our whole community on the ride. Um, so, yeah, like if, if that. And also, if that that label helps me convince other people that they need to do it, then all the better. Yeah, for sure. You've achieved so much already this year and just in general. What's next for you and your team as you pivot, obviously, due to COVID-19? Things have changed. So what are you guys doing differently and what's changed or 
exciting for the plan for the rest of the year and going into 2021? So we've been quite um, lucky in the sense that the vast majority of our work, except for the days where we physically run a clinic or an event, the vast majority of our work is done remotely. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't have to pivot so much in that space. However, what the biggest challenge will be in the new world and the new economy and the climate that will roll out of 2020 um, will be the ability to show the impact of your work and why people should fund it. Because, yeah. um, you know, there's definitely been a retraction in the economy, um, in, the, in the powers that be that, um, you know, normally fund different things or yeah. things. Mm, so, absolutely. Um, so one of our key focuses um, and the reason for me using the Rural Women's uh, Grant money on financial modelling and measurement was so that we can pivot in that direction anyway, so that we can have a robust plan going forward um, as a collective, like covering all the different initiatives that the country is running um, and it's the same for my um, private business as well and also being able to measure and prove uh, what we say we're doing and the impact of it. So it's going to be, I think, a consolidation and development focus mm-hmm. and it give us the, the time and the presence of mind to consider the way that we work and how it has been effective to date but what might change um you know, in the future so that we can be ready for that and we can preempt that because we know our community very well um, and we are represented, like our board is majority um, Indigenous and from different parts of the Kimberley and also connected further out into other parts of Australia. And mm-hmm. through my network, so I obviously know people across the country and, and the world and so thankfully have to a degree, my finger on the pulse as to the sentiment that is out there and also the struggles that are out there. So I I just had a a meeting just the other day. I'm a director on the National Rural Women's Coalition Board and Mm -hmm. um, obviously my job is to represent my community and my touch points, but it's, you know, got um, representatives from across Australia and from member orgs like um, Women in Seafood and the CWA and all these different things. So really interesting mm-hmm. to take on board those learnings and understand that for triple R communities, the COVID situation or the 2020 situation, there aren't necessarily new problems. It's just the old problems that have been exacerbated. So the problems yeah. that we've been trying to solve, like telecommunications connections or health services or whatever. And so Saltwater Country will play a role in in those kind of conversations and pivoting towards um, consolidation of our processes and our communication methods and things like that, and then rolling out to make sure that our people are engaged and involved, even if it results in us not being able to run face-to-face stuff for a little while. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think... There'll be a massive focus, and thankfully through the networks of the um, Agriculture's Rural Women's Award and through the ABCRA and the PBR that we do work with um, to maintain and build those relationships and solidify those, I think, will be critical to our success going forward and uh, to impair those 
relationships, the, you know, kind of big, more mainstream relationships with those that we have on the ground um, to ensure that when we are allowed to resume, um, even if, if there even will be a business as usual, but when, when that moment comes, that we're ready and we will use it as a launch pad to thrive. Yeah, that's so exciting. Even though that we are pivoting, there's still so much potential within the networks to actually achieve so much. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I think that one of the, it's almost a blessing, I suppose. One of the things that's come <laughs> out, of, out of COVID is that it affects everybody. Nobody is safe from it. So it is has made some people kind of sit up and think um, mm-hmm. about how privileged they are and how the vast majority of our country is not and is at extreme risk or catastrophic mm-hmm. risk. And yeah. it is also seen, um, of course, you're always going to have good and bad, but um, it has seen a lot of people come out and help other people in a way that they can. And that's mm-hmm. all that we're asking. So, so if you look in your backyard, if you look in your family or your level of privilege that you may have been lucky to be afforded, Mm-hmm. How much can you help with your skills, with your resources, with your network? We're not mm-hmm. asking you to, you know, you know, fly to the moon or catch a star, but what can you do in your backyard? And so I think that we can, that's definitely something I'll be focusing on and um, that I can, through the different organisations, Saltwater Country, Cultural Intelligence Projects, the different boards that I'm on, I'll be looking to see what can be done, what can be helped, and how can we also facilitate other people helping? Absolutely. That's so awesome. And last question before we go, because I've kept you for a while, is if anyone listening is wanting to make a difference in terms of social issues, what is your best piece of advice for them? Cool. That's a big question. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I think you're the perfect person to answer. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, it kind of alludes to part of my answer in the previous question was to self-reflect, number one. Mm -hmm. Self-reflect on what your position is in the world, what your influences are, both incoming, so how, um, whether it be your culture or your education or your socioeconomic status, whatever it might be, how does that influence you and what privilege has that afforded you? It's not mm-hmm. to say that everybody doesn't have struggles because we do, but they manifest in different ways. Mm-hmm. So how can you do that and be very aware of, you know, um, your influence as a result mm-hmm. and your blessings and uh, the privilege and the um, it could be financial, it could be networks, it could be the fact that you have an extremely you're lucky to have an extremely supportive family. Um, it could be your lived experience. And how can you use those things to then benefit uh, people facing other social issues? And also mm-hmm. one of the absolute critical things with social issues is to put the people that you were trying to help or the cause that you were trying to help at the centre of your decision-making and mm-hmm. your thought processes. Because if you are spending time thinking about you in that situation, it's not going to change anything. You need, yeah. to talk to, you need to talk to the people that are on the front line of whatever issue it might be. You need to respectfully engage, say, for example, with the Indigenous community in your region. You need to self-educate in that space. Mm-hmm. And um, don't be afraid 
to ask questions, but ensure that those questions come from a place of integrity, I think, and honesty. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and in that way, they'll be received well and uh, you will, it'll be a mutual exchange. You'll get great things out of it, but you'll also be able to play your role in positively um, changing social issues. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, homelessness or um, land rights, uh, climate change, whatever it might be, the issue or the person or the community needs to be put at the centre and that you need to be willing to open to learn and you also need to be willing to be wrong. I think it's probably key because Mm. if it's not your lived experience, you don't know what it is. I don't know what yours is. You don't know what mine is. You need to be open enough to go, oh, okay, that's not how I thought that was and I'm willing to take that on board. Um, Yeah. And that will will only spark more questions, which is perfectly fine. Um, I think I really think the more that we took time to understand each other and – In my experience, it often results in people realising that they have a hell of a lot more in common than they do differences, Um, Mm. and it just just manifests in different ways. And um, the other key thing I would say is diversify the information that is coming in. So read Mm -hmm. books that you wouldn't normally pick up. Watch shows and listen to radios, you know, radio shows that you wouldn't normally listen to. And, I mean, sometimes I do that even with, with particular channels that I know that will make me angry. Um, but it's um, important to understand what other people are thinking as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, that, that's one of the key things that I try and do is I went to Sydney Writers Festival last year and purposely went around the room and I was there to see a particular author, but I went around the room and purposely picked up, you know, about 10 books from – completely different cultures, um, mindsets and, you know, ideologies so that I can slowly develop, I mean, not understand all of them by the time I finish reading, but um, but I can understand the breadth of thinking and lived experience mm-hmm. that is out there. And I think once we can do that, I think a lot of our social issues, and you've seen that in the current circumstance where people have, you know, particularly like opposing normally like political views and different things have come together to solve this particular issue because they know it can have a potential for a catastrophic outcome for everybody. And so mm. if we have, if we approach all issues like that with people from different disciplines, opposing ideologies coming together um, to work it out, you know, no doubt there'll be some arguments, but if we can do that, and if you can play a part in that, understanding what you're bringing to the table and also what you're looking for, then I think a lot of those social issues we could make um, fair headway on them. Absolutely. I think it's all about learning to understand different people's perspectives and lives that they've lived for sh- to be able to sort of end these issues for sure. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing to chat and I'm sure a lot of people will want to get in touch with you. So can you share... What's the best way for people to get in touch if they've got a question or they want to learn more about what you do or they want to get you on one of their projects? So probably the best way is just to go to um, www.theculturalintelligenceproject.com and um, there's a button on there that you can click and um, if you want to discuss a project and that type of thing, that um, you can lock it in the time 
um, with me. Like there's the real time, like as we've got a scheduler that shows you real time availability and um, you can lock it in at whatever time suits you. Um, in terms of just general conversation or um, obviously uh, I'm on the usual platforms like Facebook, Insta and um, LinkedIn and you can follow our different organisations, whether it be Saltwater Country, um, the Cultural Intelligence Project or the different platforms um, under that. They're all on um, those uh yeah, those social um, platforms. So I think that if you just want to keep up to date or you're interested in what we're doing, um, that's the best way to do it and because that's where a lot of it comes out. And then through our Facebook page, you can also register for, um, you know, newsletters and different things like that. So it really just depends on, you know, what types of conversations and how much time you have. Or cool. you could also volunteer for Saltwater Country if you want to. Yeah, awesome. We'll send us through any information on that because we'd love to share that out to our audience as well. Um, but yes, we'll put all the links for where to contact you and all of your social accounts in our show notes as well so people can easily find them. Thank you so much again for your time. It's been really awesome to chat. I think you've got so much valuable knowledge and information and also interesting to learn more about what you're doing up in the Kimberley and internationally as well. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I hope that it's been interesting and that um, people enjoy it. But I also um, encourage everybody like um, to tune in and, and, and listen, obviously, to this show, but also um, familiarise yourselves with, uh, you know, the work of the other um, Advocates Rural Women's Award winners and also finalists because mm-hmm. there's some amazing, amazing, articulate, intelligent, strong women doing fantastic work across this country and um, and they will continue to do, do so, uh, you know, after, after this process is done. So you, there may be somebody in your backyard that you don't know about that is actually um, building something fantastic for the community. So I encourage everybody to do that. Absolutely. And yours is just the first of many exciting triple R interviews to come. So thanks so much for being our first one. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Triple R Network podcast by Generation Ag. Stay tuned for another episode in this series in a fortnight's time.